So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. Sorry to dive in here, guys, but um, I, I just feel as though I might be missing something. Yes. I know I've not been able to listen to the last couple of Smashing Securities. What? <laughs> but um, Penelope? <laughs> Who is that? Have I missed something? Smashing Security, episode 139. Capital One Hacked, I Message Flaws, and Anonymity, My Ass, with Carol Penelope Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security episode 139. My name is Graham Cluley. Namaste, I'm Carol Terrio. No, what? Nama- what? <laughs> Namaste. I just got back from yin yoga. I don't think I felt this relaxed in, uh, I don't know, a decade. It's like you're unrecognisable, Carol. Oh, really? What, I seem to remember a while ago, you decided that you wanted to be a little less cack-handed and less like a drunken giraffe. And you said that you were going to, uh, rather than be clumsy, you were going to be your alter ego, Penelope. Is that what you're trying to do today? Do you know what? Thanks to my yin yoga, I haven't risen to that. So uh, why don't we introduce our guest? All right. Okay. Oh, there's a little edge in my voice already, a little salt there. <laughs> <laughs> we are joined this week by a super returned guest. It's Mr. David McClelland. Hello, David. Hola, hola. ¿Qué tal? Oh, muy bien, gracias. Oh, very good. Uh, where, where have you been, as if we can't tell? <laughs> well, well, yes. Uh, you know, there's a bit of an irony to the whole thing, because normally when we talk about going on holiday or travelling abroad, it's to escape the British summer. It's because it's the cold we're trying to run away from. <laughs> but it was only 28 degrees by the coast in Catalonia last week. Positively chilly compared to, what was it, 38 degrees or something was, you had here in the UK? It was really, really insane. Like, we don't have air conditioning here. Most of us do not have air conditioning. Mm. I think last week's episode is really all about the heat. We didn't stop talking about it. One of our rules when we started a podcast was we're never going to discuss the weather. And, and I we think did. we discussed it about four <laughs> times yep. last week. It's true. That's true. Well, I was very grateful to be by the water last week. Mm. But unfortunately, my iPhone 10 took an unexpected dip in the <laughs> Mediterranean. And it turns out that that's not cool. I as thought my... they were waterproof or water splashproof oh, or something. Sure. That's don't why they don't have a there. headphone socket, right? 
Yeah, right. So you start peeling away beneath the surface on the on the water resistant <laughs> claims that <laughs> Apple makes. And then you start looking at the warranty and the guarantee and you really? realize that yes, while it claims IP67 dust and water resistance, if there is any water damage detected within the phone, then that is not a warranty fix. David, I'm hearing a lot of frustration in your voice. Maybe you need to take up some yin yoga, like telling you, man. I tell you what, when when the when the Apple genius this afternoon said that's going to be 550 pounds please i could have done with some yoga there and and the frustrating thing is you should jump into a tree pose you'd have felt so much better this phone is what 18 months old 19 months old apple is going to announce its iphone 11 or whatever they call it in six seven weeks time i'm not going to splash out on a on a refurbished almost two-year-old phone right now so i'm slumming it on android for the next (gasps) few weeks but i tell you what i'm finding it tough because the rest of my family are on ios it's like I've been cast out from the family bosom. I, you know, I'm missing out on group chats, losing my Apple Music and all of the apps that we use. I've got real fear of missing out from my family right now. FOMO, come on, dude. You Were know? you not tempted to say to the Apple genius, do you not know who I am? I'm from Ripoff Britain. We will get Angela Rippon and Gloria Hunnaford and Julia Somerville onto this and she sort me out right now with a replacement. So look, th- this might not be the last that we hear of this particular Ooh. story, but these things take time. So Ooh. watch this space. But in the meantime, oh, we got an exclusive, kids. I am iOSless for now. Oh. Well, okay, we'll still put up with you for the length of the show. Thanks, Crow. What else have we got coming up in the show this week? Well, first, shout out to this week's sponsors, LastPass and Meta Compliance. Their support helps us give you this show for free. And on today's show, Graham, yet another data breach gets nitpicked by you. David is yakking about malicious iMessages because he's using an Android. And I'm chatting about data anonymization. I promise it won't be boring. All this and heaps more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. We'll be the judge of that. Hey! I mean, namaste. Namaste. I'm staying cool. I'm staying cool. Stay Penelope. Now, chaps, chaps, as Kroll has just said, it's been another day and there's been another data breach, a big one. This time, a breach has impacted customers of the financial services firm, one of the top 10 banks in America, Capital One, and any consumer or small business who's applied to take out a credit card of them in the last 14 years may well have had their personal details Wow, 14 years. So this breach saw personal details of around about 100 million individuals in the United States and approximately 6 million in Canada. Whoa, hold well. the phone. Yes, exactly. That's the <laughs> bit you care about, eh? Stolen from uh, a cloud-based data server, uh, one of those Amazon buckets. Huh. And they grabbed names, addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, dates of birth, income. Some also had their credit scores and payment history and things like that taken. And in the worst cases, there were around about 140,000 social security numbers, uh, which is obviously a, a big pain point. You know, they keep on getting well, stolen. Well, the Equifax hack, they already got stolen. So, <laughs> well, know. yes, other hackers have already got those, I suppose. So people are probably going, ah, plus échange. <laughs> and 80,000 bank account numbers linked to accounts. They were swiped in the States with a further 4 million social insurance numbers in Canada. Who knew that a Canada even had 4 million people in it? Oi! Uh, well, I don't know. How it's many people are there million. in Canada? 30 oh, really? Million. Yeah. Oh, there you are. You're doing very well. Well done. Keep on breeding. I'm impressed with you. Um, Now, the first that Capital One knew about this breach 
was when its little bug bounty hotline, or rather its email address, received a message from a member of the public tipping them off that some of their data had been leaked and published on GitHub. And they basically gave Capital One the link and said, I think you might want to check this out. (laughs) So GitHub went to the link where indeed there were samples of this stolen data and the account was in the name of someone. It wasn't in the name of like, you know, Black Skull or Phantom Menace or, you know, it's a sort of typical. It was Graham Cluey. No, no, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Instead, it, hey, watch it. Uh, no, not me. Instead, it was in the name of Paige Adele Thompson. Can I just interrupt for a second? Hmm. Do you not feel at this point that big companies should be aware that Amazon clouds need to be protected? I just, I can't believe that this is still happening. Oh, well, we don't know exactly how they got access to it. So it's not necessarily the case that this was a Amazon bucket which had been left open. There is some suggestion that there may have been a vulnerability, uh, maybe in a web application firewall or some other software. Which I apologise. You see, there was jumping to a conclusion. and I don't need to apologise at all. You you are right. There has been a big security problem with web buckets being left open and for anyone to access. But it's not necessarily the case that this is what happened on this occasion. But as I said, the account name, the GitHub name was in the name of Paige Adele Thompson. And that GitHub account also had a CVN resume on oh, it. Oh, this is like, what was what was the virus? You are thinking of a uh, virus, a word macro virus from the past. Love letter. No, well, it wasn't the love letter. It was written by an associate of the person who wrote the love letter. It's a Degusman. word macro virus called yeah. Michael B. And that was written by Michael Bowen, which included his That's CV. That's right. Yeah. Good and, knowledge. Good yeah, history and, uh, knowledge yeah. there, Graham. I like that. I'll tell you what it did, actually. It's one of my favourite viruses. It's one of my dumbest virus writer stories ever. What he would do is at the end of the month, he would print out his entire CV asking for a job, <laughs> including his name and address and phone number. In the uh, payload. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's, and he said, if you don't give me a job, I'm going to release another virus. So th- it is similar. <laughs> it's, it's, somehow it didn't work for him. I don't know. It is similar. It is similar to that. But anyway, this had a CV and resume on it for a certain Paige A. Thompson. Okay, interesting. uh, Including, of course, her employment history, which said that her last previous employment was at Amazon, uh, working (laughs) on the web buckets. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, between May 2015 and September 2016. So it's a while ago, but interestingly, she had been working at Amazon in Seattle. Now, CVs, of course, just like with Michael Boone, also include people's addresses and phone numbers, and this one was no exception. So it wasn't that hard for the FBI to know whose door they should knock on. And so they knocked on the door of 33-year-old Paige Thompson in South Seattle. I don't know if that is uh, the norm anymore to have addresses and phone numbers. I think now you might have a Google phone number if you were in the States, for example, that's not tied to your address and Uh you would present yourself because of privacy issues. You don't want to put all that stuff on a piece of paper that's going to end up God knows where. But they need some way of contacting you. Oh, you think just, so they just well, put they, an email address? Well, no, they can use a Google phone number, right? Which is not t- oh, like I not see. tied to your house or to your mobile. Oh, good tip, Carol. Well, yeah. To be honest, it's been a, I don't know, 30 years since I applied for a job. So. Yeah, quite, quite. So if, I, I just love your CVs, of course, so, tend to include. A curriculum vitae, of course, is normally wrapped around the leg of a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, did I say knocked on her door? Did I say the FBI did that? It isn't quite as simple as that. And I'll include a link in the show notes. And I've uh, shared with you both oh, my uh, a word. link and an image Whoa. here. You will see that... 
the knocking on the door was more in the form of a SWAT team coming around with rifles. With full and army gear, like full... camouflage army gear. What are they going to do? Hide behind the pot plants? What They've they... got a database, everybody. We've got to take this <laughs> seriously. They're crawling across the grass, pretending to be imperceptible. Oh my God, this is insane. Where is this? This is in Seattle. In okay, America. so not like a place where, you know, middle of nowhere. Well, well, where people are bored, where the military's been sitting there doing nothing for the last three years. Maybe, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe Seattle. Well, police searched the house, which Paige shares with a number of other people, and they seized drives, uh, hmm. which contained files that referenced Not driveways, but... Yeah. Amazon. No. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Seriously, is that the best you can do after a, an hour of yoga? That kind of gag. Oh, you're not rising to it today, are you? You are being Penelope. <laughs> well, this is amazing. Wow, it's a whole different crawl. Anyway, so they, they seized some thumb drives and they had files them related to Capital One and Amazon and also her online alias, Erratic, um, where she'd been posting on Twitter and on other things. Oh, but, but this is the interesting thing. And it may explain why the police were so well armoured and had all these guns and things. Because she wasn't the only person of interest in the house. She shares that house with a few other people. And when the police were searching it, they found 20 firearms. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this murder she wrote? I (laughs) feel like you've just tricked us. You didn't mention that they had interests of people and that there were guns involved. I just, sorry, I'm rising. I'm rising to it. Well, they 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 discovered assault-style rifles, handguns, scopes, grips, ammunition in another bedroom belonging to the chap who actually owns the house, a 66-year-old called Park Kwan. And apparently, he has previous regarding weapons. And in the 1980s, I think it was, he was actually indicted. He got in some trouble with some co-conspirators about a failed contract killing where a truck bomb... <laughs> What? was made out of dynamite. Oh, wow. Okay, I so, just want you to remember that you started with a Capital One breach. <laughs> anyway, so maybe maybe the authorities saw that he was also present in the yeah, property. I and now thought, understand why they dress that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I'm just guessing. I'm just making the link. I don't know. I don't know. Well, I don't know what's going on here in the States. I'm sorry, people. But <laughs> even if Thompson hadn't posted her resume online, there were plenty of other clues. You know, she didn't really act like a elite hacker. And, she didn't have uh, any good. She didn't have good opsec. No, and and there's plenty of details in the indictment. For instance, remember that Capital One was informed by a member of the public about the data mm-hmm. being on that public GitHub. Well, it turns out that they may have been a friend, maybe not so much anymore, of Paige Thompson slash the hacker known as Erratic. Mm, I think that's probably normally the way it's people get dobbed in. Yeah. And there had been private direct messages exchanged on Twitter. There'd been a Slack group where they'd been having all kinds of conversations and Erratic had been talking about other companies as well, which may have been plundered in the past. So the arrest has only just happened this week. On Thursday, which is the day when this podcast will be released, Paige Thompson will be appearing in court. She's being charged with a single count of computer fraud, faces possibly a maximum penalty of five years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Yeah, but that's kind of chump change for everything, like five years, considering that some people go in for... Well, we'll have to see. I mean, I'm sure they're still gathering evidence and putting their case together on this one. I mean, how many people again have been impacted, we think? 106 million. Okay, so yeah, five years, no biggie. You're right. But this is data going back how many years ago? But it's credit card application data. So the stuff that you're using to Mm. apply for a credit card and Mm. so on. Why are they keeping that data? 
so far back. Absolutely. I mean, do they need to? Is is that a, a you know a, a regulatory compliance thing there, or actually are they just being too uh, greedy? Well, yeah, so they can I, sell the data. To that data. Perhaps exactly. Just but that wait for just... my story. I tell you. Okay, yeah. but that increases their attack surface, doesn't it? It really does. I think there is this huge problem of toxic data. Many organisations probably want to think, what is the minimum amount of data we can keep on our clients and our contacts and people? Because some of those people won't have been given credit cards. They won't have become customers of Capital Exactly, One. so they, they didn't get any of the spoils. And yet that data has obviously now been snaffled up. Now, Capital One say, they have apologised, by the way, they say that they believe the data hasn't been exploited they don't think it's been disseminated either. But frankly, how would they know? The yeah. fact, however, that this woman was arrested quite quickly, although the original breach looked like it happened a few months ago, does suggest that maybe it hasn't actually been used in some fashion. But we'll have to follow the case to see what happens. Um, now, I'll tell you something astonishing, though. The news of this breach has only happened, as we're recording, within the last 24 hours. But already, the first class action suit has been filed. Really? Already? <laughs> Oh Someone gosh. has already put it together and said, we want millions out of Capital One because of this data breach. You almost think that these class action suits must be prepared in advance with a gap for the company's name. Do you know name. what, though? I suspect that, you know, many, let's say five or six different companies do exactly the same thing. You yeah. want to be first out of the gate. Right. So I, I can understand so. people moving quickly. I guess so. But uh, Capital One has apologised. Um, oh, well, that's fine then. Let's move on. <laughs> I, I think they're also offering credit monitoring. But my, my Aww, thinking is, you guys. Well, well, yeah, but with so many breaches that have happened, Crow, hasn't everybody, sorry, Penelope, hasn't everybody already got half a dozen credit monitoring subscriptions <laughs> going on already in the States? For, because chances are this isn't the only place where your data has been breached. Yeah, yeah. So don't worry about it. Put your feet up and uh, away you go. Listen to a podcast. Yeah, well, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> um, sorry to dive in here, guys, but um, I, I just feel as though I might be missing something. And yes. I know I've not been able to listen to the last couple of Smashing Securities because what? I don't have my podcast oh. app anymore because it doesn't work <laughs> on bloody Android. But um, Penelope? <laughs> Who is that? Have I missed oh, something? Oh, oh sorry, sorry. Yes, uh, Penelope is Carole's alter ego. Well, she was, I don't know, 15 years ago. Yes. If you can imagine Carole not <laughs> walking into something, not tipping over a glass of water over a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> so Penelope is a less sweary Carole? Uh, just gentler, gentler. Is there any other kind of Carole? <laughs> a less sweary Carole? I'm not sure. Okay, okay. Yeah. But she, she's, she's more refined. She's more refined. David, what's your story this week? Well, you know, I remember the days, don't we all, when iPhones were simple and safe. <laughs> oh. He's lamenting it. Yeah. He's got that little bit of yeah. his brain that's throbbing because it's, he misses his iPhone so much. It's still there. It's still there. You know, once upon a time, you could give your mum an iPad or an yeah. iPhone and, you know, she'd be sheltered from all the bad stuff that was happening on the internet. Those days, alas, are long gone, it would seem. And over the last few days, iPhone users, which I guess doesn't include me anymore, may have <laughs> noticed that they've been encouraged to update their iOS operating system. Why? Well, because apart from one or two new features... It fixes what Leo Keelian from the BBC News Online website called a fistful of flaws in Apple's iMessage app. Good work, Leo. So these were some vulnerabilities that were identified by bug hunters from none other than ba -ba -da -ba, Google. 
Oh. Who I suddenly feel a lot closer to now. <laughs> Your buddies, my buddies at Google. I know. And um, <laughs> so the researchers at Google, they helpfully publish details of these exploits, including examples of the code to create these malicious iMessages. Mm. Uh, there were six potential hacks in Apple's over the top iMessage service. And they are what's called interactionless, which basically means that the victims of the attack, the people who are receiving the message, don't have to do anything really to have their messages exploited oh. just receive one of these weaponized messages and uh, and open it literally as soon as you receive this message and your phone opens it then that's the point at which bad guys could potentially uh, perform some remote code execution run some dodgy stuff on your phone and even read some files from your device now what i should say is that these disclosures were all done very responsibly by google's project zero team they oh, let good. Apple know about the exploits and there's a kind of statutory 90-day period in which Apple has to uh, develop some patches to fix the vulnerabilities before Google went public with it. It's a bit embarrassing for Apple, but I think it's better that Google finds it than somebody with fewer scruples. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I agree. And I think, I think Google have done very well here. Mm. I mean, I think it's fantastic, actually, that Google have fixed every single vulnerability in the Android operating system <laughs> so that they're now able to spend, spend time, time yep. finding flaws <laughs> in point, their Clint. biggest competitor. <clears throat> I, th I think it's really well done them uh, because Android's perfect. So um, I'm, I'm grateful for them. I feel a lot better about that, that now you've said that, actually. Yeah. You, yeah. Know that you know I'm an Apple girl, right? So maybe that's why I'm getting twitchy. But while you're reading this, I keep wanting to go point out that it is potential. It is potential. Mm. So they found potential, like, well, vulnerabilities that could have been hacked. Yes. And these yeah. are proof of concept. Uh, exactly. So, of course, Google's Project Zero team are flexing its muscles, saying, "Aren't we smart?" Yeah, exactly. Mm. They um, are, but they've they've written the code which demonstrates this uh, and published it, which demonstrates that this could be possible. Um, yeah. So, so it's it's important people update to iOS twelve point four to protect against this. Exactly. Now mm. it was uh, ZDNet or ZDNet if you're in the US, uh, which broke the story. And um, what it did, apart from basically reporting what I've just spoken about, it went and spoke to some exploit vendors and bug marketplaces Ugh. and they valued these exploits in total at up to 24 million dollars wow yeah that's an awful lot of money and you know that's how much some and i'm doing the big rabbits is security firms might be willing <laughs> to pay in order that they could then package up those exploits and sell them on to well who knows and that's the really scary thing about the whole black market here. do we know that if apple has a bug bounty program i'm not sure i i don't know the answer to that it doesn't seem like a very Apple thing to do, how you describe mm. it, you know, to go out and say, hey, we've got a bug, you know, apple.com forward slash bug bounty. Doesn't feel... The Black kind of okay. wares don't do. like to be told what to do. <laughs> I've just searched. Okay. I've just searched. Um, yes, Apple do have a bug bounty mm. program okay. and they can offer, I think their top prize on offer is about $200,000. So that's a little bit nicer than what I've bugs. seen from Google. I think Google's uh, was can, 30. It can go all the way down to 25000 Dollars as well. It just depends on the severity of the bug. I wonder if Google collect the money. <laughs> well, I wonder. <laughs> that would be, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a nice twist in the tail? And here's your invoice. Thank you very much. But you're quite right, David. I mean, these sort of exploits would be very attractive to the NSA, GCHQ, mm -hmm. yeah. FSB. Mm -hmm. 
etc mossad you know uh, they would all love to scoop up this kind of thing in order to spy on others and we've had some very high profile some pretty horrible cases over the last 12 18 months or so where allegedly smartphones have yes. been bugged you know remote access trojans yes. whatever running on devices and horrible things have been happening when these kind of exploits fall into the wrong hands so like i say good work Google by disclosing this safely yeah, to here, Apple, here. Apple developing for all except one of the vulnerabilities. And I understand that in iOS 12.4, uh, it failed to fix one of the vulnerabilities and Google has withheld disclosing the code uh, and how that exploit works. So hopefully that will also be patched in the next few weeks. But something that's happening next week, one of the researchers, Natalie Silvanovich, who found these exploits, is actually talking about this at Black Hat in Las Vegas, which is the big security conference that takes place there every year. And she'll be spilling the beans on even more potential ways in which iOS devices can be attacked, including visual voicemail and so on. So there's a lot more to the iOS attack surface there, including these, you know, interactionless vulnerabilities, which are so highly prized. I haven't heard that term before, interactionless. It's not easy to say. (laughs) Interactionless-ness-less. Um, Maybe if Penelope tried, she'd be able to handle it quite smoothly. Keep working at it, Cluely. Crow, what's your story for us this week? So data anonymization sounds pretty dull, doesn't it? And I get it, but it's an important factor that helps us feel secure when we share identifying information, right? So say you have rickets, or say you were the victim of a milkshake attack. Or say you suddenly found yourself broke or bankrupt because your partner spent all your cash, right? You don't want any old Joe Schmo finding out about that stuff because it's private. Yeah. And you want to manage who knows and who doesn't know. So you might decide to tell the docs all the details, but stay shtum at work. And you know what? I don't even care who you are. Whatever your deal is, there is something private or embarrassing about you on a cloud system somewhere. Okay. You know, something that you'd very much prefer that no average Joe found out about. I mean, remember, Clue, when you had problems and you went to the oh, doctors and you got it checked out and then you got the for the because she was while she was a your anatomy. Okay, don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna beep all this out. I'll beep all this out. Okay, but. My it was a medical is, situation, and uh, <laughs> I could. Yeah, anyway, but my yes. point is, the <laughs> problems are on record somewhere, right? But you, like everyone else, you're probably not worried about this kind of thing because you know about data anonymization, right? And this is where information is sanitized, and it's all designed to protect the privacy of the individual. Can I just check? You're not planning to put that out on our Patreon, are you? As bonus content, uncensored. <laughs> I don't really want Namaste. stories. Do some yin yoga. You'll, you'll feel so much better. Now, it is either in the process of encrypting or removing PII from these data sets, right? So that's what we mean by making it anonymous or anonymizing the data. Like in the context of medical data, you would take out all the information that, that protects the patient from being identified by someone. So from another medical professional or another hospital might be viewing this data sets and they don't need to know who you are. They don't need to know your name, your address, your date of birth, 
your national insurance number. Exactly. They don't need to know any of that stuff, right? Right. In order to make an assessment or to look at the data and make a call on it. They wouldn't even need to know your weight. They might need to know, you know, might need to know sort of, but well, they might need to know within a within a band or something. They don't need to know precisely to the pound. It but, might you know, depend you... on what they're working on. Yeah, yeah, sure. And like when you go see your doctor, your accountant, or a lawyer, a bank manager, whoever you hang out with, Graham, they may <laughs> need to de-anonymize that data in order to assess your specific case. And this is what de-anonymization is. It's the reverse of the same process. It's where you cross-reference this anonymized data with another related data source, and then you can re-identify the anonymous data person. (laughs) Okay, all right. It's kind of complicated, but as a side note, you might remember that GDPR brought in this kind of nerdy term called pseudo-anonymization. Yes. And this is what, this is another term for it. So this is Mm -hmm. where you can kind of basically decrypt anonymized data or whatever, not decrypt, but reverse engineer anonymized data to find out who a person is. Now, one last edu mm-hmm. point here before we get into my story. <laughs> it's a big, long, long segue, long segue. Yeah, a lot, but lot, lot of foundation it's here. This it's is, important. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you include that bit about my <laughs> That was really helpful, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad, uh, glad that got <laughs> a mention. Problem, that was important. Namaste. No, that was important. Um, so that was important. here's a really important point. Anonymized data is not controlled like data which has personal identifiable information in it. Anonymized data can and is regularly bought and sold without violating any privacy laws. And the idea is that this useful info doesn't infringe on individual privacy and therefore doesn't fall under that, that law. So we're all with me? Am I sounding like I knit with a single needle or am I making sense right now? No, I understand. Yeah. And that, and that's a really important point, that last point you make, Carol. I, I think that's the crux of this, isn't it? Yes, it is. So imagine my surprise when on a beautiful Sunday morning, I'm perusing my news feeds and I see an article in New York Times entitled, mm-hmm. Your data were anonymized? Question mark. These scientists can still identify you. Right? Now, before we get into it, I have a real problem with the word data being pluralized like that. Yeah. Do you? If you are a scientist, if you come from a scientific background, really? then data is a plural. And I've had this argument. Yeah, yeah, t- totally. Datum is the singular, data is the plural. And if you come from that academic background, that is still very much uh, enforced, dare I say. I would argue it's the failing New York Times at this point. I find it quite offensive. It just seems wrong to me. I find it offensive too. It's like I can see data as like the universe, you know, and there's a lot of components inside the universe, right? But we see the universe as a singular concept. Just so long as it's not data, that's the most important thing. (laughs) Okay, so here's the upshot of the article in any case. Anonymized data sets often include scores of so-called attributes, right? These are characteristics about an individual or a household. Um, You might remember that massive experience Alteric cyber yeah. whoopsie from 2017, yeah, where yeah, the credit yeah, firm yeah. left the personal info of a whopping 120 million US households open on a Amazon bucket. That means basically that if any of us knew the URL, we could just type it in and go and visit, and we would be able to see the addresses and the ethnicities and the interests and the hobbies and the incomes and the mortgage details and yada, yada, yada of 120 million households in the US. In the Experian case, there were 248 different attributes or data points for each household. Mm -hmm. So, fast forward to the article. Scientists at Imperial College London and Université Catholique de Louvain in Belgium. (laughs) 
Excuse me? Excusez-moi, monsieur. Vous avez un problème? Très bien. Non, non, non. Okay. Très bien. Très bien. Allons-y. Um, they published that they devised an algorithm that can identify 99.98% of Americans from almost any available data set, data set, with as few as 15 attributes. So imagine you've got a wealth of attributes, but just let's use Experian that has 250 roughly. You could take any of those 15 and I'd be able to go, I know who you are, within a 99.98 percentile. Which means that there would only be two out of every 10,000 who you couldn't do it to. <laughs> two people out of every 10,000. I don't even know if you're right, right, but uh, let's, just, uh, let's just hope you are. Let's hope I am. <laughs> The researcher said, quote, Our results suggest that even heavily sampled anonymized data sets are unlikely to satisfy the modern standards of anonymizations set forth by GDPR and seriously challenge the technical and legal adequacy of the de-identification release and forget model. This sounds horrendous. There's more. I'd like to know if you guys think this is surprising. The scientist posted the software code online for anyone to see and use. Yeah, well, that's what researchers do, don't they? Like show off. Say, aren't we clever? Never mind the implications. Ordinarily, I would argue... When they discover a security flaw, they alert the vendor, government agency, whoever is hosting the data. But because there are mountains and mountains of anonymized data circling worldwide, Dr. De, Mont De Montjoie, or Joy... Which university is he at? Could you just remind me? <laughs> ah, that's in Belgium. Um, he, <laughs> he says, well, everyone's at risk, so we had to put out, you know, the code. So I have a lot of issues with that. I kind of understand, but at the same time, we know about the experience and many, many, many other hacks where all these data sets have been taken, stolen, and he's just made the job of those people much easier to search and use that and identify people. Yes, but I mean, I, I, yeah, it's a bit of a quandary, this one, isn't it? Because if they simply said it, look, we have this ability, then it does kind of disappear from the headlines almost instantly, doesn't it? And get forgotten in yesterday's news. Whereas if you release a tool that does have the potential for others to try it out and raise the alarm again and again and again. And don't forget that every disaster movie begins with a scientist being ignored. Mm. And somehow we need to have them listened to sometimes with this and other important issues. So an argument I heard in favor, right? And this is still, a, you know, I recommend everyone reads this article in the New York Times. But an argument they make in there is that other scientists like to double check facts and figures, yes. right? So by yes. having the code, you can do that. Mm. Yes, that's true. So I can understand that restricting access to the code is challenging. But at the same time, on the other side, you're also impinging on someone's privacy by letting anyone do this. So maybe if the scientists were only to share it with other people they had confirmed to be scientists, are they wearing a white coat? Are, do they have a great big forehead and an egghead? And this is why I'm so glad we do this podcast together, <laughs> because sometimes you're just so smart. 
Oh, thank you very you much. You don't have to restrict access to everybody, but you want to control it. So you might say, hey, look, if you prove that to me that you're a scientist or that you have good intentions or you're going to further the cause in a good, healthy, ethical, moral way, then rock and roll. Here you go. Here's the URL. We've put it on an Amazon bucket. <laughs> We've given it a good password. <laughs> and anyone can get it. Don't share it. Don't Please don't share it with anyone. Password one, two, three. There you go. So, yeah. So I don't think it was the right decision to make the code available to anybody to fuck around with. Mm. And I agree with you. They probably did it for the headlines. And that's probably why I'm talking about it. But um, yeah. What do you think, David? Actually, where, where my head was, I was just thinking of a sidebar to the power of de-anonymization. And uh, it reminded me when you were talking at the beginning in particular about uh, a story that I saw uh, last week, I think it was, while I was uh, on holiday. Um, I don't know if you saw it too, but basically the um, uh, Russian intelligence agency, the FSB, was the victim of a mm. data breach. <laughs> and oh, um, you saw uh, that the researchers who got hold of the data saw some of the internal projects that the Russian Secret Service had been working on. And one of them talked about de-anonymizing users of the Tor browser. Yep. So Tor mm. obviously is, you know, the Onion router. It's the way, a uh, very, very secure, safe way that users are anonymized when they're visiting all kinds of places on the, on the clear web and on the dark web. Um, and the ability potentially to de-anonymize users who are using Tor is really, really mm. scary for, mm. yeah, for so many reasons. I think maybe something is right in GDPR. Maybe we shouldn't call it anonymization because it's not. It is pseudo-anonymization. It's a much better word. It's more accurate because you think you're hidden, but all this information is floating. I mean, clue. Yes. The mere fact that I referenced your thingy, right? Your Again. little issue. I think that's the third or fourth time you've done it now, yes. <laughs> Obviously, I'll bleep it out in the final production, but it will forever will live you? somewhere in the raw audio file on a big, ginormous <laughs> data cloud somewhere. And now I feel bad because I've exposed you. I mean, I didn't, well, um, yeah, you know what I mean. You don't, you don't feel as bad as Dr. <laughs> you examined me. I'm sure she's still probably having nightmares. <laughs> Hey, Graham. Yes. There are people out there with companies a little bit bigger than ours. <laughs> and one of the issues that they face is visibility and oversight. And when it comes to cybersecurity, that is super important. So really listeners, is. listen up. If you do not have a password manager in your organization, please check out LastPass Enterprise. They offer centralized admin oversight and control shared access and automated user management. All this stuff makes your life easier. Plus, you can even use LastPass's single sign-on to protect all your cloud apps and give seamless access to employees. Check it out at Smashing Security. No, at check it out at LastPass.com forward slash Smashing. <laughs> We also are sponsored by Meta Compliance. Now, Meta Compliance reduce cybersecurity risk by providing a platform for training. Yeah, they do online training. They've gamified it. It's animated e-learning. teaches you and your staff all about the risks of phishing and other threats which may impact them inside business. And best thing, it's not boring. No, not boring at all. You'll learn everything. GDPR, malware, data security, password safety. You can grab it all and save yourself a ton of cash because you're a Smashing Security listener. Go to smashingsecurity.com slash metacompliance. On with the show. 
and welcome back. Can you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week? Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. He's such a professional. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. It doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. Better not be. And my Pick of the Week this week is not security-related. It is something we've mentioned on the podcast before, although I don't believe it has been anybody's <laughs> pick of the week. <laughs> it is a game for the Nintendo Switch. It is the game for the Nintendo oh. Switch. Everybody knows it. It's Legend of Zelda Breath oh. of the Wild. An extraordinary, incredible game. Possibly the greatest game ever written. Absolutely unbelievable. And the reason why it's my pick of the week this week is that my son, when we first got a Switch, we got it with uh, Breath of the Wild. He's eight years old, and he started playing uh, Zelda, and he was enjoying it. He got a, a reasonable way through it. But just in the last week, because it's the summer holidays, he decided to start again from scratch. <laughs> and basically, that's what he's done the entire summer holidays so far. <laughs> well, you've been working. <laughs> you've had a nice little Switch babysitter. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, he's nearly finished it. He is... Oh, so close now to killing Ganon. Oh, uh, it's wow. unbelievable. Do but you know, I've played that game, and I think I played that game with you, Clue, when I was still in my 20s. Well, we played earlier versions of Legends yes, of yes, Zelda. Obviously. Yes, sorry, we, of course, we, obviously. We played uh, Ocarina of Time, Ocarina I think. Ocarina of Time. Which was... An in- which probably was the greatest game at the time and there have been others like Wind Waker and Majora's Mask and that's the only but, one I played yeah but Breath, Breath of the Wild has just taken it to a whole other level so I thought you know if you've got a Switch and if you bought Legend of Zelda when you bought your Switch why not give it another go because I'm just astonished how huge this game is and how detailed and how much darn fun it is. On those rare moments I've walked into the sitting room and, and seen how far he's got, it's truly amazed me. Do you know what, do you know what I think is amazing? I think it's so great how you find these little known things that no one's ever heard of and you, you just bring them to the surface on the show and help people find out about things. It's great. Mm. That's a bit snarky for Penelope, to be honest, Carol, to say that. It's definitely a sweet voice, though. Yeah, well, I don't think that's enough. I think it's the content as well as the delivery which matters. Oh, look at him managing me. Um, David, what's your pick of the week? Well, um, I don't know if you read or listened to the official Steve Jobs autobiography, biography written by uh, Walter Isaacson all the way back in 2011. I still haven't read it. Isn't that awful? I should totally read it. It was really good. It's on my list, yeah. It is an epic tome. It's the best part of 600 pages, and the audiobook is uh, just a little bit over 25 hours long. So, long road trip. You were going to Spain and listening to it? <laughs> he was rowing to Spain. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I mean, if you haven't listened to it or read it, whether you're on the Apple or the Android side of the fence, or both like I am, then it's a fascinating <laughs> insight into the mind of one of the most uh, influential creative technologists of that oh, era. Yeah. Now, Walter Isaacson's follow-up book to the Steve Jobs book is called The Innovators, How a Group of Inventors, Hackers, Geniuses and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution. It's quite a long title, but I think it kind of says what it <laughs> what, what it does on the inside, really. It takes a big look at the digital revolution, not through the eyes of a single person. And that's the key thing here, because so many books focus on Bill Gates. Well, actually, there isn't a decent biography of Bill Gates, and I've been looking for one. If anyone knows of one, then please do let me know, because I've not been able to find one yet. 
but you know, obviously there's the Steve Jobs book. There's uh, stuff about um, you know Alan Turing yes. and Ada Lovelace and so on and Larry Page. But there isn't anything that talks about the role of collaboration, of innovation, how different people actually work together to create these big innovations. Because obviously Steve didn't make the iPhone on his own, and Bill Gates didn't make Microsoft what? on his own. But I know, I know. But you could be forgiven for thinking that that is the case from you know the, yeah. the snippets that we get and you know the kind of uh, journalistic. Um, abbreviations that we use. So this book looks at how major breakthroughs all the way back to Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace, all the way through cool. Alan Turing and John von Neumann, Bill Gates and Paul Allen. It's the it's the creation story of each one of the movements that uh, that they founded, and it goes all the way up more or less to present day. It finishes about 2014 or so, but it covers the birth of Google, the birth of Microsoft, the birth of Apple, and all the way through to Jimmy Wales and Wikipedia as well. I finished this a couple of weeks ago, just before I went on holiday, and I know it's a good book because. I want to listen to it again straight away as a bit of a history geek, as a bit of a tech history geek. I didn't realise quite how many holes there were in my knowledge. So I cannot recommend this book highly enough. I've just put it into my my bucket. So there you go. There we go. Your sales pitch worked. Fantastic. The Innovators by Walter Isaacson. Go and read or listen to it now. Sounds like a great pick of the week. Thank you very much, David. Crow, what's your pick of the week? Well, I'm starting with a question. Okay. What knowledge do each of you possess that might save your life one day or my life if you tell me? Um, don't forget your towel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Graham, you have any? Uh, you put me on the spot here. Okay. Well, okay. I'll, I'll carry on and, and, uh, you, if you come up with one, you let me know. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll let you know as you're choking or <laughs> flapping around on the floor. I'll say, no, Carol, don't worry. It'll come to me in a moment, what I'm supposed to do. Don't worry. It'll come to me. I know that one. Okay, so basically, my pick of the week this week is yes. a Ask Reddit article, right? So Ask Reddit <laughs> is a subreddit, and yes. the article is called What Knowledge Might Save Your Life One Day, right? right. And this is one of those clickbaity titles that occasionally I might fall for at 8.30 in the morning while I'm sucking back my first coffee of the day. And I clicked on it and what a treasure trove. Check it out. Now, the thing is, is I knew a few of them and the ones I knew, I was like, yeah, Mm. I agree. Good advice, right? And the ones I didn't know sounded like good advice, but it could be really not good advice. Like one of them, here's one, right? If you're ever charged by a moose, get behind a tree. (laughs) They have about a 10 inch blind spot and they'll lose you. That actually is excellent advice. (sighs) If it's true. Oh, I'm sure it's true. It's on Reddit, Crow. It's on the internet. But the other thing is about the moose's (laughs) blind spot, it's also well worth bearing in mind if you're ever on a motorbike and overtaking a moose right? uh, to know about their blind spot as well. (laughs) So uh, make sure to be careful with that. Okay, here is one I thought was quite good, right? If you fall into cold, open water, resist the urge to swim and try oh, I know to float this one. Yes. until the onset of panic subsides. Yes. Once you've got your breathing under control, now as a lifeguard, and I can say this is absolutely 100% true, and I have had to actually had to save people before in rough waters and Canada. Because people panic, don't they? And they're flapping out. around. You almost and, want to mm. punch them in the head so they stop trying to grab you and drown you in those situations. It can be really and, scary as a lifeguard, And they've had too. the... Sh- They've had the shock. Sorry, Carl, I know you're a lifeguard, but let me speak. Uh, they've had the shock. <laughs> they've had the shock of falling into the cold water as well. Yeah. Which is, is, is obviously... So the, so the thing to do is be like Penelope, right? Is to be calm, namaste be serene. Namaste it out. Yeah, do a little starfish. Namaste. Yeah. 
And then when once you've just got your composure, then start swimming to safety. Now, listen to this, right? On this thread, so I looked at this this morning, and I just looked before the show, and when mm. the last time I looked, there were over 30,000 comments on this thread, okay? Oh my goodness. So, a lot of people, that's a lot of life advice. It's a ton of life advice. So check it out. It's on Ask Reddit, and I'll put the link in the Smashing Security website show notes. Wouldn't it be good if we could get this as an audio book? Well, don't worry. I've already thought about that. I was thinking, who owns this content? Couldn't I just slap <laughs> this into a little book for Christmas, make it available to everybody, choose my favorites, as curated by Qualteria? Just have a little legally saying yeah. you haven't actually tested anything. Yeah, so TM Qualteria. TM Qualteria. Oh, nice. All right. Good. Well, Carol, on that life-saving note... Uh, I think we've just about wrapped up the show this week. We, we have. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us once again. I'm sure lots of our listeners would love to follow you online. What's the best way to do that? It is probably on Twitter, at David McClelland, all the L's, all the C's, and a few vowels chucked in for good measure. But I'm sure you will mention me on the at Smashing Security Twitter as well this week. So follow me there. There we go. And uh, yes, you can follow us on Twitter at Smash Insecurity. No G. Twitter and last to have a G. We have a G everywhere else, but not on Twitter, uh, including uh, on Reddit, where we've got an active community as well. And if you want to support the show, you can also go to our Patreon page. Yeah, and huge thank you to this week's Smashing Security sponsors, LastPass and Meta Compliance. Their support helps us give you this show for free, so be sure to check out their offers. As always, virtual hugs to you all, you wonderful listeners, and welcome to our brand new Patreon subscribers. My screen's frozen, so I don't know what else I say. (laughs) Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. (laughs) Adios. Hasta luego.